Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good morning, New Community Church. If you're new around here and I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron and I'm the lead pastor here at NCC and we're so excited that you're here with us, worshiping with us this morning and um, if you are new, if you're checking out the church, we want you to know we are a church that is passionate about your spiritual growth. We want to see you move forward in your relationship with God. And so if there is anything that we can do to help you in that, please let us know. We're in the last week of this series called Villains, and it's been a great series so far. We've been looking at different stories in the Bible and not studying like the heroes of the faith or the spiritual giants, but we've been looking at the bad guys in the Bible and through their stories, examining our own life and seeing what were their actions and attitudes that made them the villain in the story. And then how do we avoid those things in our life? How do we make sure that we don't become the villain in our own story? And so we've had a lot of great feedback in this series. Um, I think because we relate to kind of those people, we know our own brokenness in our life. And so we can maybe see a little bit of ourselves in these stories. And so we're going to continue today. We're going to look at a group of people that were villains in the New Testament. You know, so far we've been looking at the Old Testament before um, Jesus was here on this earth. But today we're going to look at some villains that Jesus interacted with and how he handled them, what it was that he saw inside of their life, what it was that made them the villains in their story. You know, this was a group of people that were extremely passionate and they were um, they were studied. They knew the law of God, but they were kind of becoming the villains in their story towards other people. Now, this week we sent our kids back to school. All of the parents say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. And if you're a teacher, I'm sorry because now you're having to deal with all the kids that parents are sending back. And our youngest went to kindergarten. And I was remembering back to whenever I was younger and I was starting kindergarten. Kindergarten was kind of a rough year for me. And not because I was leaving my parents for the first time, but I'm a pretty passionate person, pretty opinionated. And so entering into kindergarten with that kind of mindset made it a little bit rough. And the first few weeks were really kind of smooth, but after that, some things started happening. And we were about middle way through the fall, and we were doing a craft time, and so it was something where all the kids were kind of playing and talking at their desk, and I started talking to the kid next to me. And I was talking to him about God and about church, and halfway through the conversation, I started to realize, we don't agree on this. Like, we don't see eye to eye. There's kind of some differences here, and so I start to get pretty passionate. My volume level starts to raise, like I'm starting to talk really directly to this kid. And then he says something that kind of just sets me off. And I jump up, scoop my chair back, I point my finger in this kid's face, and I start to tell him, you're wrong. You're a sinner and you're going to hell, okay? Like I'm this little kindergarten kid, but I am all up in this guy's, you need to know Jesus, you need to repent right now, like you better start praying or you're going to spend an eternity burning it away from God. And the teacher comes over, the little kid's like alarmed and and shocked and I'm like still revved up, man, I'm still passionate. And so the teacher has to call my parents, my parents have to tell me, hey, that's not the best way to share your faith, Aaron, it's not really what you want to do. And so things kind of go okay for a little bit and then we get around the holiday season. And all these kids start coming in, and they're talking about, like, going to the mall and taking pictures with Santa Claus and about all of the toys that they're going to get. And I think, man, these kids need to know the truth. 
And so once again, as a kindergartner, we're around this table and I start telling them the truth about Christmas. Man, you guys have it all wrong. It's not about Santa Claus. Santa Claus isn't real. Like, it's not about presents. You guys need to focus in on Jesus. I'm this little kindergarten that's passionate, man. I found a place to preach. And so I'm preaching at these kids. Kids are walking away from the table with tears in their eyes, okay? I've destroyed their childhood dreams. Once again, the teacher comes over. The teacher calls a conference with my parents and says, Aaron needs to be removed from my classroom, okay? <laughs> Cannot deal with this kid anymore. So kindergarten was a little rough. I was passionate. I maybe even had the right intent in my heart, but I had gone drastically wrong in the way that I should communicate with people. And that's what it's like in the life of this, these religious leaders during the time of Jesus. These Pharisees and Sadducees, these people that studied Scripture, at some point their intent was probably right. They, they had a heart to know God's Word and to study God's Word, but somewhere along the way they had become the villains in the story. They had started kind of isolating other people and pushing other people out, and they thought that they were correct. They were the ones on the inside of the kingdom of God, and everyone else was on the outside. And because of that, they're the villains in their story. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to start reading there in the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can reach down and pull that out. I want to encourage you to do that. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 570. And Jesus is teaching um, a crowd of people. And some of his disciples, some people that followed him were there. There was this religious group that I'm talking about this morning. These Pharisees and these Sadducees, they were there. Um, around this kind of this teaching of Jesus and Jesus gives them a parable now that's just a story with a pointed truth in it and so he's telling them a story but there's a reason why he's telling them this story and this is what it says in chapter 18 verse 9 it says he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt and this is the story that he tells two men went up to the temple to pray one was a Pharisee the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. God, I fast twice a week and I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is it that Jesus is saying here? What, what is it that he's trying to get them to see so that, that they can realize they're the villain in the story? What's taking place? Well, we see two individuals. We see this religious leader, this Pharisee, this person that knew the law of God. And what is he doing? He's standing there in the middle of the temple. He doesn't want to be near anyone else. Maybe he feels like sin is contagious. If I touch someone else, I'm going to catch it or something. And so he wants to stand away from everyone else. He doesn't want to be associated with anyone that's a sinner, or with anyone that's doing anything bad. And he stands there and he says, God, look at me. Look at how righteous I am. God, I'm not like these other people that are around me. I don't even know why they're here this morning. But God, I'm not like them I'm not a sinner, I'm not a, an adulterer, God, I'm not unjust, God, look at how great of a person I am. God, I do everything that you tell me to, I, I tithe, I fast twice a week, God, I'm good, I can come before you because of what I've done. And then we get this other picture of 
this tax collector. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture, the tax collector during this time, they were looked down upon. They worked for the Roman government, this government that oppressed the Jewish people. And so really, they were kind of the worst of the worst in their society. And you see this tax collector, and he comes in, and he's off in the corner. He's not even looking up to heaven. He's beating his chest, and he's saying, God, have mercy on me. God, I realize how messed up, I realize how broken I am. God, if you can do something, do something. God, I need you in my life, God. I desperately need you. Now, as you start to hear this story, as everyone's listening, they probably know how the story's going to end, right? God's going to hear the prayer of the righteous person, the religious person that's there that knows the law of God. He's not going to listen to the sinner, but all of a sudden we see the twists in the story. Who's the real villain? It's the person that thinks he's righteous in and of himself. It's the person that's standing there looking at everyone else, pointing fingers at everyone else and saying, God, I'm okay. I'm glad I'm not like them, Lord. And Jesus points out, wait, this is really the villain in the story. It's not the person that you would assume is the sinner or the bad guy. The real villain is the person that's standing there thinking, God, I'm okay because of what I do. And we do this many times in our life. See, we become the villain in our story when our self-righteousness replaces our relationship with Christ. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. You become the villain when your self-righteousness replaces your relationship with Christ. What does that mean? It's that moment in our life when we want to compare ourselves with everyone else. When we think we're okay because somehow we've convinced ourselves that our sins and our mistakes and our brokenness isn't as bad as the people around us. God, look at me. I'm not doing that. Like, God, I'm not as bad as that person. And and so my sin, it's really not as bad as that individual. So I'm okay, God. So I can come in here. I can worship. I can do all of these things because compared to everyone else, I'm not really that horrible of a person. And when we do that, when we start to look at ourselves in that light, that somehow we're good enough on our own, we're righteous in and of ourselves, we become the villain in the story. We do this a lot of times in the church world. We try to think, God, why are you blessing that person? I mean, if people really knew what was going on in that individual's life, God, they wouldn't be getting blessed. Why is that person here in church? We whisper in these prayer circles, God, do people really know what's going on, man? We need to pray for the sin in their life. We start to point out other people's faults and their mistakes. Why? Because we don't want people to see our sin. We somehow want to feel like we're okay because we're not as bad as that individual. We're not as bad as that other person. And we think that's the standard of righteousness. That somehow I can make it into heaven as long as I'm not as bad as my neighbor. As long as as I'm not doing what the person across the aisle is doing, then somehow I'm okay and God's going to love me more or I'm going to make it into heaven somehow because I'm comparing myself with other people and I think I'm going to get by with that. But that's not what the scripture tells us. See, it's like when you're in high school and you study for the math test, right? Like you're nervous about it. You've been studying all night. You work really hard. You're studying. You go in. You take the test. You feel like you did really good. The teacher hands it back and you got an A. And for a few moments, you're excited. And then the teacher stands up and says, hey, we graded on a sliding curve. No one passed the test. And all of a sudden, you realize that A doesn't mean anything. They just took... The person with the highest grade and gave them 100 and then kind of went down the line from there. And your A really doesn't mean that much. 
And that's what we're doing when we think we're self-righteous on our own because we're not as bad as the person next to us. We're trying to grade on a sliding curve, and that's not what happens. That's not the way it works. It's like two dead people arguing who's more dead. Both of you are dead. It doesn't matter at that point. But somehow we're trying to convince ourselves, I'm okay with God because I'm not like that person over there. That's what the Pharisee was doing. And whenever you do that, you start to victimize other people. You're the villain in the story and you start to victimize other people. You isolate them. Man, they don't belong in church, God. They don't deserve your blessings, God. God, I can't believe that's happening in their life. They're more messed up than I am. God, why am I not getting that stuff? And all of a sudden, we become the villain in the story because we're looking at other people trying to convince ourselves that we're okay. But when you stand before God, he's not going to ask how you are compared to your neighbor. He's not going to look at you and say, well, was your sin as bad as the person next to you? That's not what he's going to do. See, God is the standard of righteousness. When we stand before him, it's our life compared to his. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how little you, your sin you think it is, how small you think it is compared to God's righteousness. We are all broken, messed up people. See, and when we come before him, it's only going to be the relationship that we have with him you're not going to be able to stand on this idea that you weren't as bad as the person that sat beside you it's only a relationship with God it's only his grace over your life and the closer you get to him the more you realize I don't have any good thing in me God I don't have any righteousness in my life. It's only my relationship with you, God. I'm desperately in need of you because I realize my brokenness. I realize left on my own, God, I messed up, up, Lord. I'm the villain in my story left to myself, God, and I desperately need you in my life. See, if you're trying to stand on your own good works, you're the villain in your story. So how do we stop ourselves from becoming the villain? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's a very simple process. It's every morning you get up and you do this right here. You get down on your knees. There's nothing magical about this, but there's something when our physical posture reflects the attitude of our heart. And all of a sudden, every morning, you get honest with God. God, this is who I am. Man, every morning, God, I'm a liar. God, I'm messed up. I'm broken, Lord. Left to myself. I'm jealous of other people. I have insecurities in my life. God, this is who I am. I am a messed up person. You get honest with God. God, I'm lustful. I'm an adulterer. God, I'm a liar. Lord, there are hateful thoughts inside of my heart. Lord, I'm a broken individual. I've told you guys this over and over again. Every morning I wake up and I remind myself, I don't deserve to be a pastor. There's nothing that I've done that earns this position for me. I've told you I was a messed up kid on the streets of Colorado. I had no hope. My life was jacked up. I had no promise or no future. And it was only the grace of God at work inside of me that causes me to be here today. It's like that for each and every one of us. You don't stand before God in your own righteousness. You don't stand there because you're good enough on your own or you're somehow a little bit better than the person next to you. No, you only stand there by the grace of God. And when you're standing there or trying to stand there in any other way, you're the villain in the story. You're victimizing other people, somehow convincing yourself that they don't deserve God and you do. And it's only by realizing, God, I need a relationship with you. 
God, I'm not good enough on my own. It's only, God, when you clothe me with your righteousness that I can come before you, God. It's only that relationship with you, Lord, that allows me to come into your presence, God, to talk with you, to speak with you. The question is, where is your heart this morning? Are you the villain in the story? Are you somehow convincing yourself that you're not as bad as the people around you? And so somehow you're okay. You can stand before God on your own. There's something else that's going on in the life of the Pharisees. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start reading at verse 23. If you still have that Bible open, it's on page 37. It's at the bottom of page 37 and the top of 538. There. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, this is what it says. Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and this is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe on the mint, dill, and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So also outwardly appearing righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When you read this, do you have any question about how Jesus felt about these villains? Now, it's, it's pretty obvious. He's calling them out on what's going on in their life. He's calling them on this. And this is what he's saying is he's saying you're missing what's really important. You're missing the point of all of this. See, the Pharisees were here and they had all of these kind of spiritual checklists in their life. Man, I'm making sure that I'm tithing on everything, even these spices that I'm growing in my garden. I'm making sure that I'm doing all of these ceremonies. There were certain rituals that they would go through to make sure the cup was washed a certain way and everything was done a certain way. And Jesus said, man, you're missing it. Now, before you think, oh, so we don't have to do anything. Pastor Aaron's saying, like, we shouldn't give, we shouldn't tithe. We don't have to pray. We don't have to come to church. No, what does Jesus say? No, you should have done that, but without forgetting the other. What he's saying is there's a point to all of this. You don't do this whole checklist. You're not doing this just so at the end you can say, okay, I'm good. I'm done with this, God. I'm good with you now. No, there's a purpose to all of this. All of these things are really calling into question your character. Where's the condition of your heart? And you become the villain in your story when your checklist becomes more important than your character. You become the villain in the story when your checklist becomes more important than your character. When you're looking at all of the small details, when you're looking at all of these things and you're not really getting the point of where God is calling you, all of these things that he was asking his people to do were for one reason. He wanted to be in a close relationship with them. But the Pharisees had missed the point. They didn't understand what God was really doing. God's not concerned with you coming and sitting in a seat on a Sunday morning for an hour just so you can sit in a seat for an hour. He's concerned with you worshiping together. 
He knows what it does when you encourage others, when your faith grows together as the church. He doesn't want you to read his word just so you can say, well, I've read the word, I've done that for today. No, he wants you to understand his truth. He wants your heart and your character to reflect his life. He's doing it for a point. And when all as you think it is is some spiritual checklist that you're going through, you're missing it, you're becoming the villain in your story. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he tells them in another passage, you're, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. You're staying out of the kingdom of heaven and you're stopping other people from entering as well. You're some kind of spiritual bouncer at the church. You're telling people, hey, you don't have all the details done. You don't have all of your checklists done. And so you can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And God's saying, no, that's not what it's about. It's not just about the details. It's for a purpose. It's so that your character inside, deep inside of you, you would reflect the love and the mercy and the faithfulness and the justice of God in your life. That's why he's calling you to these things. That's why we talk about spiritual disciplines and the pathway in all of these practices. It's because we want to become more like Christ. And when all this we've done is reduced Christianity, we've reduced our worship to God, down to this list that we somehow try to get through the week and then we're done, we're missing the entire point. God doesn't want a checklist from you. He wants your heart. He wants to know where's the character of your life. Is your life reflecting his? Are all of these things moving you closer and closer to Christ so that you're becoming more and more like him in your life? See, sometimes we just want to focus in on those details. We, from time to time, ask our kids to go upstairs and clean their rooms. And um, most of the time, the boys will come running down after about a minute. And I'm like, there is no way your room's cleaned after a minute. And I'll go up there, and clothes are, like, stuffed under the bed, or they're just stuffed in a drawer. And so I have to walk them through what it means to clean. Angela, most of the time, our oldest daughter, um, it doesn't work like that. It'll be an hour later. I'll be looking at the watch, and I'll be like, Angela, what are you doing? I'm cleaning my room. And I'll go up there, and this is what her room looks like. All of her shoes are in order. They're color-coordinated. All of the books on the shelf, they are in alphabetical order, right? I mean, they're lined up perfectly. All of the dolls are the stuffed animals. I mean, they're in a row from height, like from the tallest down to the smallest. But on the floor, there's dirty clothes. There's like trash on the floor. There's a dirty cup or a dirty dish up there in the room. And when I ask her, she says, I'm cleaning my room. And I'm like, no, you're not. The whole purpose of this was not to organize your stuff. I love you, Angela, but that's not why we ask you to do that. The whole purpose of this is it's so that your room actually gets clean. We get the dirty clothes in the laundry. We get the trash picked up. See, it's not about all of these kind of details that we want to focus in on. It's really about what Christ wants to be accomplished in our life. And sometimes we want to reduce Christianity down to this list. When God's saying, I'm concerned about your character. I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at what's on the inside. Don't miss out on what it, what it takes to get there, but don't think that's the end of itself. No, I'm, I want to produce something in your life. And he's talking to these Pharisees and he's saying, you've missed it. You've become the villain in your story. You've somehow assumed that you can stand before God on your own righteousness. That somehow something you do will earn your way into heaven. And that's not the way it is. You've become the villain in your story and you're keeping other people out. You somehow think that you're good enough because you fulfill this checklist when I'm looking at the character of your heart. 
And if we believe the lie that the Pharisees believed, if we somehow feel like we're good enough on our own or we can just check off a few boxes and we're okay, we're missing the whole point of what God wants to do in our life. We're becoming the villain. We'll push other people out of the kingdom of God. We'll isolate them. We'll not allow them in. We'll miss the whole point of what Christ wants to do inside of our lives. And I want to pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask for you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. You may be here in this room this morning and you may not have a relationship with God like I talked about. Maybe you've thought that it has something to do with you being good enough on your own and somehow you're going to make it into heaven. Somehow you can earn the love of God if you do enough of the right things. But I'm here to tell you, all of us are broken. We're all messed up. All of us are desperately in need of a relationship with God, of a Savior to come and rescue us from our sins. And if that's you with no one looking around the room this morning, if you're here and you're, you know, man, I don't have that relationship with God. You've either walked away from it, maybe you've never had it, maybe you've never made that commitment, but this morning you want a fresh start. You want God to give you a brand new life. If that's you with no one looking around right now, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. You can put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? God's speaking to you. You need that relationship with him. Thank you. I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this with me. Whether you're saying it for the first time, whether you've prayed it before, repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm broken. And I need your forgiveness. So come into my life. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and celebrate for those that made that commitment this morning? If you're here and you prayed that for the first time this morning or you were returning and committing yourself again to a relationship with Christ, I would love to talk with you after service. And um, after we're dismissed today, I'm going to be back at the Welcome Center. If you would take a moment and just stop back there, I would love to have a chance just to encourage you and to challenge you and to give you a gift so that you can start um, in the right direction in your relationship with God. Now this morning, I want all of us to kind of respond together in a way as we look at God, our need for you in a relationship with you. We're going to take communion together this morning. Now I'm going to ask our ushers who are helping us if they would start to make their way forward. Communion is this practice that Christians have done for hundreds of years now. And it's where we join together whenever we're together like this as the church. We simply take a um, body and some juice, uh, some bread and some juice, and it represents the body and the blood of Christ. And so I'm going to ask you as they begin to pass those, if you would take that bread, if you would take that cup, and if you would just hold on to it for a moment. We're going to all take it together. If you're here this morning and you're visiting, you don't have to be a member of New Community Church in order to take this with us. But anyone that has a relationship with God, you can partake of communion. And so as they're passing that down, just grab that bread there and grab that cup. And I want you to do this as everyone is being served this morning, just right where you're at, right now where you're sitting. I want you to take a moment and I want you to examine your heart. 
The scripture says as we do this, as we remember what Christ did, it's important that our heart is right before God. And so I'm just going to ask you, take a moment as they're doing this, as the worship team is playing, and just ask God, is there anything that I need forgiveness from in my life? God, is there anything that, God, I need to be right between me and you before I remember your work on the cross? So let's do that together this morning. Let's examine our hearts. we get ready to remember the sacrifice that you made, Lord. Speak to our hearts, God. God, we want to be right before you, Lord. So forgive us, God. We ask for your forgiveness every area of our life, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness, God, over our own life, God, for what you want to do. So Make us right before you, Lord. God, make us whole again before you, God. What we want to glorify you, God. God, we want to be in a right relationship with you. We realize it's nothing on our own, God, but it's only your grace and your love, Lord. want to read this scripture to you this morning and we're going to take each of these elements and we're going to pray over them and then we're going to take them together this morning. This is what Paul says to the church in Corinthians that he's writing to. He's giving them instruction as they take communion together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 it says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you could, if you have that, if, just take that bread in your hand there. And we want to pray over this. We want to thank God for his body that was broken for us. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want you to pray. Use your own words. In your own words, begin to thank God. The scripture says that he took stripes upon his back. That he was broken, he was bruised for us, for our healing, for our iniquity. It's represented right here in this bread that we're about to eat. So church, let's pray together and let's thank God for what he did. Lord, we come before you, God, and we thank you, Lord. This bread symbolizes your body, Lord. It symbolizes what you did for us on the cross, God. And so this morning, Lord, we stand here grateful as your people, Lord, that you took our place, God, that you paid the price, Lord. There's nothing that we could have done on our own, Lord, but you stood in for us. And Lord, this morning, I ask if there's anyone in this room, Lord, and they're struggling physically, Lord, there is sickness in their body, Lord. Your word says that your body, Lord, pays for our healing. And so this morning, we ask for that, God, as we take this together, God, let your spirit bring healing inside of us. Church, let's eat this together. He goes on in that same passage to say this. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. We're going to pray over this cup together. So if you could take that in your hand, let's pray together and thank God for the blood that he shed upon the cross. Lord, once again, God, we say thank you. God, because it was our sins that put you on that cross, Lord. God, it was our need. Lord, we were in need of forgiveness. Forgiveness, God, our brokenness placed you there, Lord, and you gave your life, Lord. You gave your blood and you sacrificed yourself so that we could know you, God, so that we could be in a right relationship with you, Lord. And so this morning, we say thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in our life, Lord, so that we could know you, so we could be in your family. Church, let's drink this together this morning. Now, if you would stand together, we just want to sing and worship God and thank Him for the blood and the power of what He did on the cross.